Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School lesson for the third Sunday in Lent. That's March 12th, 2023. And this week we're looking at the gospel lesson from John chapter 4. It's verses 5 through 30 and then a quick jump to verses 39 to 42. This is a pretty well-known story. It's when Jesus meets and speaks with the Samaritan woman at the well. And often this story is turned into sort of a, a, uh, a lesson on moralism, I suppose, that while the disciples have little patience for a Samaritan woman who has had five husbands, Jesus reaches out to her in love. And it's certainly true that Jesus reaches out to her in love, but it's really not so much about the disciples' shock that he speaks with her or the woman's past. Rather, this is a big moment in the Gospel of John to demonstrate how Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah they've been waiting for. So before we get to the actual text, we want to talk about Oh, I think four different themes that run through Scripture and through the beginning of the Gospel of John that all contribute to this story. And the first theme we want to talk about is water, specifically living water. Now, water plays a big part in creation. Back in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God... Uh, is creating the heavens and the earth. And the first thing we find is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is hovering above the waters. Then when God creates the land, he does so by gathering the waters and really creating the land out of the waters. And then before the Lord God forms man from the dust of the ground, we read that there is a, a spring or, or a river there in Eden a fountain, if you will. And that fountain is, is necessary, say the early church fathers, because you can't form man out of dust unless the dust has water. And so in keeping with the water theme, some early church fathers said that the Lord would water the dust, and so water is necessary for the creation of man at the beginning. Water, of course, plays an important uh, role here and there throughout the Old Testament. We'll see that in the Old Testament lesson at the end of this um, podcast. We do note in passing, however, that in Ezekiel chapter 47, the prophet has a vision of the temple. And in his vision of the temple, a river flows out of the temple. And as the river flows further and further from the temple... Instead of getting shallower and shallower, it gets deeper and deeper without contributing streams. So, so the water from the temple, it, it grows, it multiplies without outside help as it goes along. Now, in the book of John, the Gospel of John, we have several mentions, important mentions of water in the first few chapters. Of course, John 1 begins with a nod to the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
And then we have mentioned by John the Baptist of Jesus' baptism in the Jordan, where he is uh, in the water, and the Father anoints him with the Spirit and says, This is my beloved Son. So there at Jesus' baptism, we have the water and the Spirit mentioned together. In John chapter 2, we have the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns the water into wine. And then in John chapter 3, Jesus has an extended discussion with Nicodemus, where he says to Nicodemus, unless one is born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here and there throughout the Old Testament and in the first three chapters of John, water is an important part. And when God makes use of water, he makes use of water to create and he makes water to give life. And Jesus says that entering the kingdom of God involves both water and the spirit. So that's theme number one, water or living water. Theme number two to keep in mind as we look at this passage in John 4 is the theme of weddings. All right. Now, in the Old Testament, sometimes the Lord compares himself to the bridegroom and his people to the bride, often a runaway, unfaithful, rebellious bride, for instance, in the book of Hosea. And of course, in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus is compared to a husband and the church to a wife. And so all of marriage points to Christ and his bride, the church. Here within the Gospel of John already, we've had a couple mentions of weddings. First off, again, in John chapter 2, we have the wedding at Cana, where Jesus attends a wedding and honors marriage by attending the marriage of a husband and wife, a bride and a groom performing a miracle there with water. Then in John chapter 3, as people turn from following John the Baptist to following Jesus, we read this in John chapter 3, verses 26 through 30. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. Now here's the key verse, verse 29. John the Baptist continued by saying, The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. So John identifies Jesus as the bridegroom. And in doing so, he's he's putting Jesus in as the Lord in the flesh because the Lord portrays himself as a bridegroom for a rebellious people in the Old Testament And John is saying the bridegroom has now arrived so that he might gather his church, his bride, together. So in John 2 and John 3, then we have two mentions of weddings. The wedding at Cana with water to wine. And and then John declaring that Jesus is the bridegroom who has come for his bride. 
So those are the first two themes and the big ones, water and weddings. The third theme that we should keep in mind is the fact that this takes place in Samaria. Now, Samaria comes into being because when the Assyrian armies ransack the northern kingdom and take off the people into exile, the land doesn't stay vacant. In 2 Kings verse, or chapter 17, verse 24, we read that the Assyrian king settled five different nations in Samaria in the cities of Samaria. So one of the ways the Assyrian king made sure that no nations that he conquered rebelled against him was he'd mix up the people and plant them in conquered land far away from their own homes. And so in 2 Kings 17, he plants peoples from five different nations in what was once northern Israel. And in the Gospels will be the area between Galilee and Judea. Now, each of these nations has their own religion, so they're not going to conspire with each other politically or religiously. In fact, when the historian Josephus writes about Samaria, he says there were five nations and each nation had its own God. And in fact, in 2 Kings 17, we know that they were idol worshipers and were so rebellious against God that, that 2 Kings says that God sent lions among them in judgment. All right, so water, weddings, Samaria. Fourth thing to keep in mind, the fourth theme is this. Jesus is the new temple. Again, we had the prophecy of Jesus in Ezekiel 47. That was the vision of the temple where a river flows out of the temple and, 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 and waters the land around it and only grows in strength. And then in John chapter 2, when Jesus cleanses the temple, the Jews demand a sign, and his, his response is, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And they say, how can that be? It's taken over 40 years to build this temple. It's still not done. And John adds parenthetically, but the temple he was speaking of was his own body. So, one last thing to keep in mind is that Jesus identifies himself as the new temple, which means this. In the Old Testament, God dwelt with his people in the temple in Jerusalem. When the temple was finished, the cloud of glory appeared overhead, and God descended into the Holy of Holies, and so he was present with his people in the temple. Now, in the Gospel of John, God is present not behind a curtain in the temple. He is present in the flesh because Jesus is God become flesh. In fact, when John 1.14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Greek there says the word became flesh and tented or tabernacled among us. And that's a reference to the first temple of Israel in the Old Testament, the tabernacle that moved with them through the wilderness. All right, so we've got our four themes, living water, weddings, Samaria, and Jesus as the new temple. So let's move on to our reading, our gospel lesson in John chapter 4, starting at verse 5, we read, So he, Jesus, came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, 
So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A couple things with this introduction to this story. First off, this is the first we hear of this well that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. There's no mention of this in the Old Testament. Outside of the Gospel of John, there's no mention of this until a couple centuries after Jesus ascends into heaven. So um, there's pretty good historical attestation for, for the site of this. You can go and find a, a chapel where this is thought to be. Um, but this is the first we hear about it in John chapter 4. It's about the sixth hour. It's about noon. A lot of commentators have made hay that the middle of the day is a strange time to come for water. And so perhaps this woman here is coming because she's ashamed of her, her lot in life. She's trying to avoid the other women who had come for water. And, and that's certainly, certainly possible. An interesting note within the Gospel of John is that when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, Pilate brings Jesus out, shows him to the Jews, and says, Behold your king. And John says that takes place at the sixth hour. So, um, it could be that here the woman meets Jesus, the king of kings and lord of lords, and believes in him. And later on, when Pilate at the same hour says, Behold your king to the Jews, they say, we have no king but Caesar. So the Gentile woman, the Samaritan woman here, believes in the king. And at Jesus' trial, the Jews instead declare Caesar to be their king, which is just astonishing. Back to our text, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's notable that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, asked a Samaritan woman for water because culturally the Samaritans and the Jews don't talk to each other. They don't like each other. And so for a Jewish man to ask a Samaritan woman for water is pretty remarkable. And in fact, in doing so, Jesus is setting aside this cultural barrier between them and saying that uh, he's He's transcending the categories of Jew and Samaritan. He's, he's not there to play the part of, of hostility between the two. He wants to do something else here instead. In verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, we don't know the tone of the woman's voice. Is she asking this gently, kind of surprised? Is she being sarcastic? We don't know. We do know Jesus' answer, because we have it in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. All right, here's the first of the four themes we mentioned before, that God has worked through water to create and to give life uh, throughout the Old Testament, and even already in the first three chapters of the Gospel of John, 
And so as Jesus says this, the woman is not going to catch on right away, but Jesus is announcing to her and to us as hearers of the gospel that he is the Lord in the flesh who creates and gives life because he wants to give her living water or water water that gives life. Some will point out that the word for living in living water is the same um, the same word as the word for flowing in Greek. So it might very well mean that the woman hears him say, I will give you running water or flowing water. But Jesus is here to give her life because he is the Lord in the flesh. So he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. So the short answer is yes. Yes, he is greater than your father Jacob. And so he has living water to give her that doesn't come from this well. Jesus said to her in verse 13, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So the woman is is not catching on, at least not yet. She thinks that Jesus is offered an alternative water so she'll never get thirsty again, where Jesus is actually offering her salvation. He's speaking of giving her forgiveness and, and faith and salvation because he will dwell with her by the work of the Spirit. That's why um, the water becomes a spring of water welling up in the individual believer to eternal life. So now she wants this living water, even if she doesn't quite understand what it means. And Jesus responds in verse 16. He says, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. All right, so Jesus, who turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana just two chapters before, now switches the conversation from water to weddings. He says to the woman, go call your husband and come here. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. Now, certainly... This demonstrates that this woman has not had a great life. In, in, in Jewish thought, two, maybe three husbands was possible. For her to have five is just outrageous. And so we can certainly say it's ample proof this woman has had a tough life. We don't know why she's lost so many husbands. Um, 
but she's probably not going to get into heaven by her perfect holy living. But the five husbands might have a much different meaning in this as well, because remember, back in 2 Kings 17, the Assyrian king settled five different nations in in the cities of Samaria, which had five different gods. So they had five different gods, which were not faithful because they were just like rocks with faces on them. And there were five different gods that, that could do nothing for their people. This woman has had five different husbands, five different bridegrooms who have failed her. And this is again theme number two as Jesus switches from water to marriage. As she has had faithless bridegrooms, as her ancestors had faithless gods who could not do anything for them, now Jesus, the true bridegroom, stands before her And he wants to gather her into his church, his bride. Now, at this point, maybe she's coming around, or maybe she's just stunned that he knows this. Either way, she switches now to worship. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews." But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So the woman senses he is a prophet because he knows about her five husbands, and she apparently has been thinking about her relationship with God. And she poses the question, so what is the true worship? Is it our worship here on this mountain? You Jews say it's in Jerusalem. Where is proper worship to take place? And Jesus says, it's not on this mountain. In fact, you worship what you do not know. Your religion is false. And the time is coming when the worship will not be at the temple in Jerusalem either, because the Jews have it wrong now too. Why? This is that theme of the temple. Jesus is the new temple. And people will worship the Father through him. Again, John 14, 6, later in this gospel, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So the hour is coming when worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, says Jesus. How will they come to believe in Jesus? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in baptism, in water and the word, and in the proclamation of his word. And by means of the Spirit giving people faith to believe in Jesus, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. When does the hour come that this takes place? The hour specifically is the cross. When the Son of God in the flesh, the new temple, 
is destroyed on the cross for our salvation, when he pays the price for our sins, and what happens when the temple, the new temple, is nailed to the cross? He's speared in the side, and blood and water flow. Living water flows from the temple as he, just after he has prayed, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Even at the cross, then, we have water and spirit at work for our salvation. Jesus goes on in verse 24 and says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that God reveals the truth of the gospel to people through Christ that they might believe in him. The woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And it might be grammatically that Jesus is saying, yes, I am the Messiah. But in the Greek, this is what it says in order. I am the one who is speaking to you. In other words, this is the first of the I am sayings in John, as in I am the door, I am the bread of life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that I am in the Greek indicates Jesus is saying, I am in fact the great I am. I am Yahweh. So here, the Samaritan woman who has had what must have been a pretty terrible life, is confronted by a stranger who turns out to be Yahweh in the flesh, the creator of heaven and earth, who creates with water, who sends forth his spirit, who seeks out his people to be his bride. And he says, I am speaking to you. Just then, verse 27, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So the disciples find it strange, of course, that Jesus is speaking with this woman at all him being a Jewish man, her being a Samaritan woman. While they wonder about that, what does the woman do? She goes to town and she says to her neighbors, come and see, which is different vocabulary, but the same thing that Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see, we have found the Messiah. So, so the evangelism continues as it did among uh, Jesus' first disciples. Now it continues among the Samaritans. I've heard, I've seen, come and see. All right, now our text skips forward a few verses to verse 39, and we read, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So the woman tells her neighbors that Jesus told her all that she ever did. She no doubt relays more of the conversation to them. They ask Jesus to stay with him, and he stays two days doing what Jesus does. He teaches. He speaks his life-giving, faith-giving word. The Holy Spirit is at work, and many believe that he is, in fact, the Savior, not just the Savior of the Jews, but the Savior of the world. It's a remarkable, remarkable text Yahweh in the flesh, the new temple giving living water, Yahweh the bridegroom seeking out his bride, including the Samaritan woman at the well. Real quick, the Old Testament reading for Lent 3 to accompany this gospel reading is Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7. This is when the people of Israel are camped out at Rephidim, and there's no water for them to drink. The people quarrel with Moses, and they say, give us water to drink. Moses tells them they quarrel with him, and they test the Lord. They continue to grumble and say, of course, you brought us out of Egypt to die. Moses cries to the Lord, and the Lord tells Moses to take his staff Strike a rock, and water will flow out of the rock. So, here we have another Old Testament instance where people are going to die without God's intervention, and he intervenes to provide living water out of this rock at Rephidim. St. Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, that the rock was Christ. That rock pointed to Christ because as that rock was struck by a staff and gave forth living water, so Jesus on the cross is pierced in the side, stricken with a spear, and blood and water flow. And throughout his ministry, Jesus is giving life, giving living water, if it were, that might well up in us for salvation. So rejoice, the same Yahweh in the flesh, the same new temple, the same bridegroom and dispenser of living water comes to you in his word and sacraments so that you might be his people, so that he might be present with you and you with him, both now and forevermore. All right, that concludes our quick look at John chapter 4. God bless your further meditations and grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.